Hello and welcome to Grade 7's Talk to Ex- Experts, a podcast where Grade 7 students talk to experts and find out more about their specialty. I'm your host for this episode, Tylen Tratchik, and I am a student from College Park School in Minster, Alberta. Before we get to our episode for this episode, I just want to share a little bit about who we are and what we will be doing in our podcast. We are a class of 24 Grade 7 students in a non-traditional classroom setting where we focus on experiential learning using a STEAM approach, that's STEAM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, art, and math. We want to answer the age-old question of why do we have to learn this by directly connecting what we study inside the classroom with the world outside the school. For our podcast, students will be contacting an expert that they know in their lives This person could be an expert in their job or what could traditionally be called a hobby. So without, so without further delay, I'm pleased to introduce our expert for this episode, who is an expert in hunting and hunting safety, Dan Dunham. Welcome. Thank you. All right. Let's start by getting to know you. Please tell us about yourself, your family, your work, your hobbies. Certainly. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me, Grade Sevens. It's nice to come in here and be able to talk about outfitting which is a business that I have but I'm also a teacher because I've seen some of you in here quite a bit but that's what I do so what 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 about myself well I'm an old guy that likes to hunt how did this country get developed do you think think back to your grade four social studies what happened what happened on the North Saskatchewan River who can tell me yes sir Yep, it's a trading post. And what were they trading? Like furs for like goods. Awesome. So they were trappers and gatherers. So people who came from Europe, they were exploring the new lands and the way that they explored it was along the waterway up the North Saskatchewan River, right? That's how all of Western Canada basically got European settlers in it. So they were hunters and gatherers. So hunting has been a traditional means of life for civilization for thousands of years, right? So I got into hunting through my father who did it. And basically he took us out and started in bird hunting. Now bird hunting means ducks and geese, stuff like that. But I do that and I own a business for big game outfitting and waterfowl outfitting. So I've been doing this since 1996 when I quit being a teacher. <laughs> and I quit being a teacher because I wanted to try and do something else. Um, I have two children, a daughter who's 25, I guess now, Mackenzie, and a son, Jacob. And he just turned 24. My son Jacob was born with special needs, so he was born early. So I thought, you know what, I lived in Calgary and I taught in Calgary and I'm not much of a city guy, so I really like the outdoors and I thought, I'm going to raise my kids back at home where I grew up basically and be able to have support and help with my family and my wife Pam. So basically... That's what I do. That's my family. I do this oh probably 16 weeks a year. So when I say outfitting, I'm not doing the hunting. 
I have a business where it allows people to research me or through word of mouth is the best way to do it. Um, and they call me and say, can you take me on a bird hunt? Can we take me on a bear hunt? Can you take me on a whitetail deer hunt? Do you know anybody that can take me moose hunting? So basically, that's what I do. Perfect. Uh, did you live in Lloydminster as a kid? I lived in Lloydminster since 1974. What was that like? It was much different. <laughs> much different. I don't know if you know where the Russ Robertson Arena is, but I lived in a, a house there that was basically the farthest out of town oh, back really? then. And now look how much the town has developed. Yeah. So it was good. It's a good town. At that time, it was about 10,000 people in population. And it was a great place to grow up. What's your most memorable moment in hunting? Well, I have a couple. It's a good question. I have a couple. Um, as far as an achievement or let's say a feather in our cap as a business owner, we, I had a client who shot uh, a white-tailed deer uh, that would have been the new world record. If it didn't have a drop time, if you know how to, if you know how to score deer, most people are into it for the score. So it's the size of their antlers, and there's there's a Boone and Crockett scoring system, um, and you need a certified panel of three official scorers to do it. So this individual shot a deer that, because it had a drop time, which is part of his horn that dropped down below the main frame, that's a deduction in the Boone and Crockett scoring system. And I can extrapolate on that later, but um, that's one. That was a very, very successful achievement for us. And then uh, the first time I went to Africa, that was a personal experience of hunting. Uh, I've been to Africa five times wow. for hunting. Saw a lot of Africa, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, my most memorable moment was just this last year and we were, uh, we last uh like <coughs> five like close to five o'clock and that's when it ended that day and so uh, we look into a little clearing and we see a, a mule deer come up buck it was decent and then uh my dad just seen the does and no. didn't see it and so i yelled at him like there's a buck over there and then he got a truck and shot that one and then like a minute later and it was dead five and there was a white-tailed deer that just came to see what was happening, and that one went down. Right you got in. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that was awesome. So what was your first animal you hunted? First animal I hunted, well, um, I've been doing it a long time. So I would say my dad used to be in the RCMP, so I'm, in those days when you were in the RCMP, you used to move a lot. Hmm. So... I used to hunt squirrels when I was about, how old are you, in grade three, I don't know. <laughs> used to hunt squirrels, so that would be the first one I, I, I hunted. Oh yeah, yeah, gophers and stuff was for me. Yeah, gophers and squirrels and birds, and then ducks and geese. Yeah. You progress on to yeah. that, kind of. Yep. so what's your style of hunting? Do you like hunting with bow, rifle? Good question. Um, I enjoy hunting with a bow, because yep. it's more challenging. Yeah. 
Uh, but I don't get a lot of time to hunt for myself anymore <laughs> because I'm running a business, right? Yeah. But when I hunt personally, yeah, I hunt with a bow and arrow as much as I can, for sure. Awesome. So what's the largest deer you've shot? Personally? Yeah. Well, again, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's, it's when you say what's the largest deer, it's, it's according to a scoring system, right? I know you know, but yeah. just for the other class. Yeah. Um, so I shot about 168-inch deer would be the biggest one I had. That's it. I missed a lot bigger than that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've shot. Yeah. I'll ask Matthias to come up and do this question. <coughs> what's your favorite type of gun to shoot? The favorite type of gun? Well, uh, basically I have a lot of guns. But most, my most favorite one is a 300 Winchester Magnum because it's a multi-purpose gun for big game, um, and you can change the ballistics on the on the bullet so that it's universal for more species. So I would say that would be my favorite. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I think my grandpa has that gun too. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, that was a couple of years back. We. We shot a whitetail, so my dad, uh, it was the last day, and so he went out and he seen, we were originally tracking some mule bucks, and they were just like, kind of just playing in the field, and then they were gone, and then all of a sudden my dad hears rustling, and then right up beside him there's a whitetail, like, pretty small one, but comes out, and so my dad hits him with a 308 once, and then my uh, dad, a new horse mules or whatever, and tries to run off. My dad tries to take another shot, yeah. but and then my grandpa um, shot the three hundred and just scared him, and he just was down there. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds to me like you guys do a lot of last day, last minute. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you done any big game hunting? Yes. Yes, I have. So as I earlier mentioned, uh, the best experience I've had for big game was Africa. Yeah. Now, I started going to Africa in 2004, oh. uh, and I've been five times, so we used to go every two years, oh. and um, yeah, it's, it's taken me all over the world, to be honest. I've, I've hunted quite a few countries in the world, and the best big game experience I have is hunting Cape Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Did you ever shoot any of them? Oh, yeah. In your opinion, what's the most challenging animal you've ever hunted? Well, if you're talking North America, which most people who come up through the hunting categories, we'll call it, progress into big game. And when you say big game, you're talking one of the most difficult trophy deer to kill is a white-tailed deer. Oh, yeah. By far. Mm -hmm. When you want to say you want to shoot a book deer, that means it has to be 170 inches in that Boone and Crockett scoring system that I mentioned. And that's a hard thing to do because the Boone and Crockett system deducts any kind of asymmetry in the animal. Like I said, the drop tine one that I spoke about, well, that's a deduction. Because if it doesn't have it on the other side, it's not typical, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
most difficult thing is a, it's a close second to a book bear, though. Big bears are hard and smart. Yeah. Very hard. What's the, in your opinion, what's the least challenging animal? Ducks and geese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say, like, gophers. Gophers? Yeah. Yeah. Because we, yeah. we go to this, we went to the spot one time, and... Yeah, it was just like gophers were popping up everywhere. So they've kind of infiltrated it a lot of places, right? And they can do a lot of damage, right? Yeah. So it's it's most people, if you do your your due diligence and you go and ask permission yeah. and you say I'm here with my dad or I'm, I'm here, are you okay? And don't they'll say don't shoot here, don't do this, don't yeah. leave the gate open. They want you in there, and get rid of those. Yeah. So they don't. Big holes in the ground, break yeah. their horses' legs, cows' legs, stuff like that. And same with the coyotes. And stuff, yeah, cause those big are, problem with those. Yeah. So, yeah, so every now and then, me and my dad will just go coyote hunting. He takes the 308 and I'll take the SKS. Do you call them? Uh, yeah, we tried one time and uh, put some rotten fish and splashed mm-hmm. it in the trees and then, uh, and then just put, because we don't have a call, so we just put my dad's phone in like a little, yeah. and then just put on one of his apps and it's a coyote <laughs> and we didn't ever really we seen some come <coughs> we seen some come in but we never actually had a clear shot uh, or yeah. anything so yep. they're smart yeah they're, they're smart are. they'll always come in downwind yeah and they'll yeah if something's out of the ordinary they'll yeah. be able to pick it up but yeah that's uh yeah they're actually that season is actually their mating season is about to start, so they'll yeah. be a little less smart. Yeah. So you could probably get some in the next month. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the longest you've ever trapped an animal for? Oh. Uh, well, a couple different scenarios there. Um, so in, in bear hunting, if you do not hit vitals on a bear, in the 30 years that I've been doing it, if you don't find them within three to 400 yards, you're not gonna find them. Yeah. So I've gone on wounded bear trailing miles. Yeah. Miles. They have an incredible will to live. Mm-hmm. They have the capability of lowering their heartbeat, like when they go into hibernation. Yeah. So then, if there's no snow, yeah. there's a drop, drop of blood here, and then there's one at the end of the room and then yeah. maybe further so yeah. so they have an incredible will and if they and they can live yeah they can live yeah. with arrowheads in them bullets in them yeah because if you don't hit vitals and i've seen them pack their wound with mud or lay mm-hmm. down yeah mm-hmm. so that and then um one time i made a, a not a great shot uh in africa on a Cape Buffalo, and we probably probably went ten miles. Oh, really? Chasing that, but eventually got them. But yeah. Do you hunt any wild boar? Or? I do not. No. Um, Cause I know. Well, that. that's not true. I have in Alabama. Oh yeah. I haven't here, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen videos of guys and they shoot them a couple times and they still keep on running at They're you. They're actually. Um, the, the Saskatchewan government is actually looking at declaring an open season on them, which yeah. I think they have because they're becoming so prevalent and causing so much damage mm-hmm. and they're worried about them spreading. So, 
Yeah. That's something that's new. Yeah. So, can you explain what outfitting is? Certainly. Good question. What is outfitting? Outfitting is, for hunting, is having a business that people contact you to take them hunting. So, if any of you call me to take you hunting, basically what I'm going to do is I'll say, this is what I can provide you. So we provide them with a place to stay. So we have a lodge. We provide them with a license because you need a license from the government to go hunting. And in certain species, you can only go with a hunt with an outfitter in Saskatchewan. Um, the rules are different a little bit between Alberta and Saskatchewan as far as outfitting goes, but pretty much similar. So I'll, I'll, I can address both sides of the border, but mainly I've done most of my outfitting in Saskatchewan. So, so I provide them with a lodge, I get them a license, and I have a guide, or myself, escort them to the spot I want them to hunt. Basically in Saskatchewan, you're hunting over bait. So for, big, for deer, it's bait on the ground. As in, I put some alfalfa in the forest and some peas, because it's good for horn growth, and some salt, because they seem to lack that nutrient in that part of the world, whereas, um, and I have a, this business of mine is at Loon Lake, in that Loon Lake area. Um, and you have to, by law, escort them to and from the stand. And the hunter cannot leave the stand um, without you being present. Um, so that's that's part of it. And then at the you know you give them food to eat, they bring their own alcohol if that's what they like to do. Um, but I have a cook and a guide. And then if they do harvest an animal, we load it up, we cut the tag out for them. You have to put that on the animal, as you know, yeah. in a appropriate manner and cut out an appropriate way yep. and then take that animal back to a skinning facility and then take care of it and then why are they coming hunting they want to take the horns home so you got to prepare those horns and meat if they want that yep. in a proper manner so that they can transport it back home yep. so that's about what outfitting is in a nutshell and of course they pay me for it which is the best part yeah so just uh, yesterday, my dad looked on his phone and our white tail came back positive, so it's good. Really? So now we can eat it. And awesome. we have, the mule is, the mule deer, the mule deer still uh, being checked out, but. Right. Yeah, because they have to do it at different times, but yeah. So, so what, what he's referring to there is, in Saskatchewan, you have to submit some of your heads, you can, yeah. which is a good thing to do as an ethical hunter. Yeah. Um, because they're worried about chronic wasting disease. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. Do you know what chronic wasting disease is? Basically, it's a disease um, that's in all... In cervids, which is like elk and deer. It's mainly in mule deer, but it's there's something in the soil that when they get nose-to-nose -nose contact, the disease can spread. So... Like he submitted his head and then they basically take the brain stem part and analyze it and that could give you a positive or a negative yeah. and it doesn't affect humans mm -hmm. it can't, the, there's a prion that can't transfer over but 
that's what you, you need to do. So they're trying to manage the resource, right? Which is a good thing. Um, and especially in our local geographic area, because we're in Saskatchewan and they're doing this cull in Alberta because they're worried about it spreading from Saskatchewan to Alberta. Yeah. Perfect. So can I ask Mason to come up and ask his question? Hi. Um, where's the furthest you've traveled to go hunting? The furthest I've traveled is Africa. And it's a long way there. Thank you. I've been to uh, Africa five times. Every time I traveled a different route. Um, so my destination on three of those times was the country of Zimbabwe. Now, Zimbabwe, if you do some research, is a country that was ruled by a brutal dictator. And hunting basically allowed that, that person to kind of stay in power. So that's kind of a bad thing. So what he did is the government, and he got pressure finally to allow outfitters to go to concessions. So if I went to Zimbabwe, I need to have permission from somebody on a, it's like a private farm. And they're huge, huge, yeah. huge. So you have to pick somebody up from that farm and you have to have a national wildlife scout with you when you hunt in Zimbabwe. And he has to be a resident of Zimbabwe. And then it's all documented and they all have quotas and quotas is if I wanted to shoot, um, let's say a Cape Buffalo. They only have so many Cape Buffalo they can harvest in that concession. Why do you think that is? Yeah, they're trying to manage the species, right? It's just like our white-tailed deer here. He can only shoot one. I can only shoot one. The people that come with me can only shoot one. So. Zimbabwe was the furthest I've been, um, I guess, technically traveling time. Mm -hmm. um, do you bring your own weapons or are there guns there? Good question. I've done both. Um, when you're hunting Cape Buffalo, Cape Buffalo is what one of the, the big five, the dangerous five, they call it. So animals that can really kill you, hurt you. So I like to trust my own gun when I do that. Yeah. Um, and there hasn't been a time in the five times I've done that they don't charge. Every time they're going to charge you. And this is a big gun. <laughs> so they are dangerous. So I bring my own. And then there is a lot of uh, paperwork involved in doing that, though. And it is an extra expense. But, of course, in a situation like that, it's worthwhile, right? So yeah. Experience. Thanks. Thank you. Good question. So what kind of animals do they have in uh, Zimbabwe? Oh my goodness. It's amazing. The variety of animals and the different species is incredible. Um, I've never been, like if you've ever seen National Geographic or something like that on the mass migrations and you see all that, I've never seen it. I've, I've only been hunting animals in different areas but the landscape changes so quickly 
So it goes from like jungle to savanna to lava, kind of rock. Um, but they have everything. They have kudu, gemsbuck, giraffes, elephants, lions, leopards, warthogs. That's awesome. Incredible amount of animals. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. So, what are some safety tips that you give a first-time hunter? Excellent question. So, here we are in a grade 7 class, and probably anybody who does hunt, or a few of you that don't, or just yourself, you have to take a hunter safety course before you can buy a license. Mm -hmm. Now, these people that come hunting with me as clients, they, I mean, most have it. But that's not a requirement for them because it's, you know, they're old like me. So they kind of grandfathered that right. But I give everybody a safety talk when they come into my door. Um, because quite honestly, a lot of the rules are different from where they come from. They can have a loaded gun in their car. Yeah. We can't. They can have bullets in their gun all the time, whether it be in their car, on their ATV, or yeah. we are not allowed that any time you're on a moving vehicle or in a moving vehicle. Yeah. Yes. So, so safety is paramount, paramount. And I make everybody go shoot their gun. Because if you're paying me $6,000 US to come shoot a deer, and the airline throws your gun in the luggage department and knocks it off and you're in the stand and see the biggest deer of your life and miss it you're going to be upset mm -hmm. so i make everybody shoot their weapon before they go up it's mandatory yeah all right i don't have my firearms license yet but i do have my hunter's license can you explain how someone gets their uh hunting license <coughs> and their firearms license excellent you bet so, as a first-time hunter like yourself, you need to take a hunter's safety course. In order to achieve that, you can do it two ways. You can go to a course, and different people put it on, like wild side sports, or instructors. Um, and you can do it online. Yeah. That's how you got yours, I think. Yeah. Right? So, so, you have two port, two parts to this one is a written portion and the other is a practical exam so a practical exam is you have to go to a certified instructor and he has firearms there and he has ammunition there and you have to know because you've studied it how to work all those different actions and what kind of ammunition fits in this particular thing and then as well you have to know the Systems, which is called what? Proof and acts. Proof and acts. Uh, because yeah, proof and acts. you have to know how to handle a firearm, yeah. right? And that's what you learn in that course. Yeah. And it's all about safety. And ultimately, who's responsible for that firearm? Is your dad? No. It's... Whoever you, me, everybody, whoever picks up a firearm, here's the best information I can give you, even if you don't ever think you'll encounter one, 
If you see a firearm, of course, don't pick it up. But if someone hands you a firearm, you should always assume that it is loaded. Always. No matter what. Even if you, I handed him a firearm and I just emptied it right here, he should prove that it is empty. Because I could make a mistake, right? People are human. It's a mechanical device. Yeah, and stuff like never point guns and stuff like Yeah, people. you never Even point a firearm at anything or anybody that, that you, you never intend to, to shoot. You never look at one, you never point a firearm and use it as your binoculars when you're looking at somebody. Mm. You know, yep. there's 10 commandments in hunter safety and you would learn them. Um, but in regards to the training, the, the course is 12 hours of instruction, and then a written exam, and then a, pr a practical exam. So that's how you get your hunter safety. To get your possession acquisition license, you have to be 16 years of age, and you have to do another test. And it's a written and a practical, very similar to the hunter safety. Yeah. And there's some wildlife identification stuff on it, as in, like what is this, a white-tailed deer or a mule deer? Or a you have to know the difference. Like, not just by their tail, you have to know, right. like, right. how the antlers are. Right, because hunting is about, um, again, traditionally it was how we explored this country. Now it's more of subsistence for some people, like the indigenous peoples. In outfitting in Saskatchewan, there's kind of a list. Now, outfitting brings in $250 million a year into the province of Saskatchewan. So, guess who's higher on the list? Native people, indigenous peoples, which they should be, right? They've had that land, it's their traditional lands. They should be able to hunt and gather whatever they want. Then above that, or excuse me, below that is forestry. Forestry brings in a lot more money than outfitting. Then, this is where I have the problem with government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then comes Canadian residents. Mm -hmm. Canadian residents don't bring in $250 million. Outfitting does. But they have a higher priority on the list than outfitting does. And then there's outfitting. Yeah. Awesome. So, what are some ways that I can prepare to be a safe and responsible hunter? Well, I'm old. I've been doing this since grade three. I've handled firearms. You never can assume that you know everything, mm. right? So safety is an ongoing daily routine. For somebody like yourself, you need to continue to study it. You need to live it. You need to practice it. Um, and then get out and do actual physical stuff like as in go to a range and shoot. Yeah. Experience different ballistics. Because if you put the wrong kind of ammunition in a gun, it can be very detrimental to you or somebody around you. Mm -hmm. Right? So those are things you learn. But you never stop learning. Mm -hmm. Never. Never assume you stop learning. Mm -hmm. And then it's about if you're in the hunting field, about hunting skills and how animals move and Technology has changed that incredibly. 
in the hunting field because of cameras, because of Google Earth, because of ATVs, and being able to get way back in where these are, different lead offs, which is amount of pull on a bow and arrow, there's lead off, and that's a cam lock thing. So you never stop learning, so you should always continue to do that. Awesome. So can you recall uh, an incident where someone, when you were uh, like teaching them like outfitting, uh, where someone was unsafe with their firearm? Can you tell us about that? 100%. Number of them. Numbers of them. Uh, to be honest, in whitetail deer camp one time, I had, I mean, when these people come here, they're not from here. So they're not used to the cold weather. So they've got big boots on, a lot of clothes on, and that's part of the reason I give them a talk. I mentioned about a safety talk. When they arrive, they arrive on a Sunday, and I sit them down in an environment like this, and I say, this is the rules. When you see the lights from your guide's quad coming, empty your firearm. That means get it out of the chamber, get it out of the gun. Because that's the law, you need to do that. Well, this particular instance, the guy didn't do that. And the guide went to pick him up and he had big boots on and he was a big man. And they're in like hunting shack. So it's like a wooden structure, sort of a little bit bigger than that filing cabinet right wider and a little bit taller and they're contained in there and they're sitting on a bait watching right but they had all these and they've been sitting there all day so a good eight hours so he gets up and he stumbles out of the thing and the gun goes off and the guide was standing right there just about shot him in the head Holy so that is. always and i tell the guides check their gun check their gun I've had, I've had clients come all the way from the United States through the airline system, through the security, with loaded <coughs> weapons. What? Right into the camp. That is stupid. Not just once. That's, wow. <coughs> so what's your most memorable moment in outfit? Memorable moment. Um, well, the highlight, I think, was the one I referred to earlier yeah. about the big deer. I've had lots, met lots of people, had some famous ball players and people like that, hockey players, met good friends, lifetime friends. So it's something that I like to do, obviously. Um, so there's been a lot. Okay. So why do you do outfitting? Why do I do it? Because I like to do it. Um, it's something that I grew up doing. Uh, it's kind of in our family. My brother owns his own outfitting business, um, and we own one together. Uh, our father did it, um, and it's provided me a chance to earn a earn a, a living for my family and be able to do what I want to do, and then come in here and sub teach when I can and do this. So it's been a good good break for me. I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like you get to go do something that you love, and then. That's that right. Job. That's it has its headaches now. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. Just like everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the hardest thing about outfitting? Quite honestly, the hardest thing is uh, keeping a hundred percent of the people happy a hundred percent of the time. 
So everybody wants to shoot the biggest deer they want or the biggest bear they've ever wanted. Well, that's not reality, right? No. So that, that is one aspect. The second is maintaining a quality operation and having good people and staff and food and lodging um, because that requires a lot of money yeah. and getting those people to come back. That's, awesome. that's the hardest challenge. All right. So what was school like for you when you were younger? When I was younger, I was a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> school was difficult. <coughs> but uh, it was a challenge. Um, quite honestly, I didn't like school. I'd rather be outside playing or I'd yeah. rather be out hunting or I'd rather, you know, I learned a lot of life lessons the hard way because in those days, you skip school, you got in trouble at home really bad. Yeah. Um, but I honestly had difficulties reading. Um, I was terrible at math. I'm still terrible at math. Mm. But as I got older and challenged myself and put a little bit of effort and work into it, I succeeded. And then I never, I never went to university right out of high school. I'd, Played a little bit of hockey and did some stuff like that, but then I decided I better get some kind of skill in life or I'm going to have to be outside and 30 below all the time, which is good for some people. Um, and I didn't have the capabilities to do anything in outfitting then. Um, so I went to school uh, when I was 21 and then got to be a school teacher. So I did that. And then, as I mentioned earlier, quit in 1996 and started outfitting. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, how is, um, uh, what is it? What was, so if someone were to write a book about you, what would the title be? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Um, mm, good question. What would the title of the book be if it was about me? Challenger, maybe? Yeah, I like a challenge. Um, I like to be able to try to do things my way, and then if I do them wrong or do them right, at least I tried it my way, sort of thing. Awesome. So can you tell us about an experience where you were unsure or unsure of yourself? but you chose to participate anyways and give your best effort. Good question. An experience where I was unsure of myself. Okay. Um, I was, yeah, I, 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 a number of them. Um, I'll go with one when I was in junior high school here in Lloydminster. Um, we have, uh, I was a Catholic. I went to the Catholic school. There was only a, a St. Mary's Elementary School. There wasn't a high school then, but uh, I was an altar boy. And then when I got out of junior high, I continued to be an altar boy with lots of criticism from my friends and why are you doing that, you know, all that stuff. But it's something that I enjoyed doing and I had a wonderful relationship with the priest. He was a family friend and we're still lifetime friends. So. I stood up for something that I believed I wanted to do and didn't matter what other people thought, and I followed through on it. What, what kind of sports did you do? In oh, I did everything. 
I love sports. Yeah. Uh, that's why I went into teaching. I, I was a phys ed teacher. Um, I played hockey, ball, football, anything you could do. Yeah. I play football too. As so. opposed to going to school. <laughs> <laughs> um, what made you, oh yeah. So after that question, uh, so have you ever been times that you felt discouraged while hunting? Lots of times, lots of times. Uh, just have, how have I felt discouraged when I was hunting? Well, many times. It's not a guaranteed thing, right? So when you go out and you do all this work, and I'm talking, I start in, well, for deer season, I start in October, and you got to go out and clear trails. So this last year, or it was worse last year, when the early snowfalls come and you've got miles and miles and miles of territory to go clear lines on and you've got to get with a chainsaw and you've got to throw logs, you do all that work and then you think, oh, there's going to be a good deer here and you see a good deer there and the client sits there and doesn't see it or you sit there and you don't see it, that's discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> Very discouraging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what made you want to keep on going in your hunting career? Um, like I said, I enjoy doing it. It's the people you meet. It's the experiences you do. I'm doing what I want on my own terms. And it's a living. I make a living at it. Yeah. So what do you think failure has to do with success? Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't think I know anybody in, a, in the world who hasn't failed at something. Yeah. If they ha if they have, they're not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Everybody fails at something. I think you need to fail to learn. Who doesn't? Who knows everything? Nobody in this room, including me. So, failure is part of life. But you should learn from your mistakes, which I have, and move forward. Try to better yourself every day. All right. Also, when did you fail and how did it help you? When did I fail? Oh, the list is long. <laughs> when did I fail? An example I can give you, uh, well, there's been a few, um, let's see, a few things in life where uh, I tried to better myself as in with investments. Um, and when I, when, I, when I say investments, it was in another country and I, I met people through hunting, again, coming back full circle, and I invested money in it and it was really good. And then I trusted somebody to look after my interests and it didn't happen, so that's my mistake. Um, stuff like that. But again, you learn from your mistakes and you don't do it again. All right, I'll ask Creed. To come and say her question. Excellent. So, how many times do you go hunting? Like, do you go a few times per month? Good question. Um, so, the government has seasons for different species. So, the the offer that I have for clientele, as I mentioned, is waterfowl. So that starts September first and ends December twenty fifth. But I only run till uh, 
around October 20th. So that's, I bring in two groups a week. So Sunday arrive, hunt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. New group arrive Wednesday afternoon, hunt Thursday, Friday, Saturday, out Sunday. I do that for that amount of time. Whitetail deer starts, well, there is some archery season, but because I'm doing the waterfowl, I only uh, start in November uh, with actual hunters. So I start November 1st and run through December 7th. And then uh, bear season is two months, April 15th to June 15th. April 15th is too early because we have weather like we've had and they stay in longer. So I don't run till probably three weeks in May. All right. Every day. Good question. Um, tell us about someone who you looked up to when you were younger. Someone I looked up to when I was younger. Number of examples. Of course, my father. Um, and I mentioned he, he taught us how to hunt, fish, do all that. I was always a big family man and is still a family man. And um, he was a policeman, which was a tough job back then. Um, it was tough for him to listen to stories about us <laughs> being moved to a new town and because he's a policeman and they pick on you or their kids or whatever, but you get past that, right? So that would be the number one. All right. So, so hunting often has some controversies around it. What's your response to people who think it's unsafe or unnecessary? Excellent question. So, of course, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, we've got some new laws coming into effect right away with our prime minister now trying to, trying to, going to take away certain assault rifles and all that. Um, in regards to hunting, 100% think that people should be able to say yes you can or no you shouldn't. But uh, how has this country developed? Like I said, it's a renewable resource, right? Um, it's been happening for thousands upon thousands of years. Um, and if you're doing it properly and you're properly trained, uh, it should be humane. So that is your goal, as you know. One shot, one kill. Yeah, that's right? what we that So there are laws that you have to follow. Um, and if you break those laws, you lose your right, your privilege. Mm -hmm. It's a privilege to do this. Yeah. Um, so you have to follow the rules. Awesome. Um, can you explain what stewardship is and how to be a good steward of the land? Excellent question. So stewardship is being in charge of something and doing everything that you can control all variables within reason. So when I say outfitters, outfitters are stewards of the resource of bear, deer, elk, moose, and Saskatchewan, uh, waterfowl. Uh, so people look up to you to try and follow the rules and provide a quality business so that people want to come back. Like I mentioned, 
$250 million. Pick me. <laughs> That's what it brings into this province. So when those people buy an airplane ticket and then they rent a car and then they buy alcohol and food and groceries and then the outfitter has to buy a bunch of that, it's employment, right? It provides employment for the province and the people. It's a circle that keeps going. And it's not only big game. We're talking hunting and fishing too. Fishing's big in Saskatchewan. Um, so being a steward of the resources, you have to do the things that are correct by law, are correct for the resource, and you have to be prepared to look long-term, right? If it was a bad winter, the government could take away tags from me. Therefore, I wouldn't earn as much income. But that's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Because that resource won't be there if you don't handle it properly because you're a good steward of the resource. Oh, and things like uh, littering and poaching, isn't that also? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because every year people shoot cows and, yes. and shoot deer and leave them there. Right. Just take the antlers. Excellent. It, it, it makes a bad name for people that don't like hunting. Yeah. And they ruin it for people that do. So if they're not following the rules and they don't ask permission from the farmer, that farmer's going to get tired because his cows keep getting run out or somebody's shooting their horses or cows. It ruins it for everybody. So one bad apple makes it bad for the whole group. Just like bad outfitters. That's why there's an association. And in Alberta, it's mandatory. In Saskatchewan, it's not mandatory. We've been pushing. I was on the board for outfitting for 10, 12 years. We've been pushing the government to make it mandatory to be an outfitter in Saskatchewan, and it hasn't happened. So if you were a hunter and had a bad experience, what recourse do you have to make me accountable? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> that You're going to go home and say, don't come to Saskatchewan. They're all, they're all bad. Yeah. The guy I said... Said he'd do this, this, and this. Well, he didn't even pick me up. He didn't. He took my money and didn't take me hunting. So that's why it's important. Yeah, like we went hunting just this year and we seen fences just oh. left on the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, hard. And it's getting yeah. harder and harder and harder. And I find this in the waterfowl. It's harder to get permission to hunt on land. Yeah, because things like that happen. The cow, like, and the cows were even out when yep. we did that. And so. Yep. And the farmer has to do all that. And he's got extra work to do. And in times like this and the weather we've had in the last couple of years, they don't have time to worry about that. So they yeah. just say, no, nobody's going. Yeah. All right. I'll ask my classmates to come up and ask <coughs> questions. <coughs> all righty. Fire away, guys. Hello. My name is Isaac. Hi, Isaac. And I have a question for you. Nail it. What is your favorite shade? My favorite what? Shade. Shade. Under the oak tree. <coughs> oh. In a hammock. On my back deck. <laughs> okay, I have another question. Okay. What is your favorite shape? Circle. I have another question. What is your favorite color? Red. 
Thank you. Good work. <coughs> Hi, I'm Ben, and what is the age where you can actually like shoot an animal? Uh, you can hunt in Canada when you're 12 years old, and you have uh, your hunter safety. Okay. So you need to take that hunter safety course. You can accompany somebody at any age, but when you're 12. You can get the course and then legally get a license called a youth license. You have to prove that you've taken hunter safety with a document and you get it. And then you have to be accompanied within arm's reach of an adult until your age of 16. Okay. Um, so what is the test like to get it? The hunter safety test? Yes, the hunter safety test. Good question. So, after you take the 12 hours of instruction is minimum. You learn about the different actions in firearms like lever action, bolt action, hinge action, you know, all that. You learn about ammunition. You learn about laws. You learn about storage of firearms and the legalities of it. Um, and first and foremost is safety. How do you safely operate a firearm and handle it? and store it. But excellent question. Thank you. My, I'm done. Good job. Hi, I'm Mason again. And what's the first, when was the first year you shot and what gun was it with? Mm. I'm pretty old. That's really working on my long-term memory there, Mason. Um, I want to say when I was about 12, when I was 12, and it would have been a 243. Okay, I have a backup question. What's your favorite gun to hunt with? A 300 wind mag. Hi, I'm Blake, and Apple or Samsung? Apple. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nabil, and you said you go to Africa to hunt sometimes, and when you go, how long do you stay there for usually? Oh, excellent. Excellent question. So. Usually when you go that far, it takes you two days to get there. So you're going for a minimum of probably seven to ten days. If you're on what's called a dangerous game or the big five, lion, leopard, hippo, elephant, okay, buffalo, 21 days. All right, thank you. Good. Hi, I'm Parker, and you say you go to Africa to hunt some animal, animals, right? And what was the big? What was the coolest animal that you shot in Africa? I shot an eland. An eland is the largest of the antelope species. So if you think about antelope here, well, there they're like twenty-five hundred pounds. They've got horns like this long, and they spiral a little bit, but they're massive like that. And they come straight off their head like that. Thank that's, you. That's the most important. Thank you. Adios. Oh, my name is Alex, and my question is, which gun have you shot that has the most kick? <laughs> I shot a 468 Rigby one time that has a lot of kick. Actually, the last time I was there, the Cape Buffalo that I shot, I shot, he ran away, because they're very, very determined to live. And then... The PH shot with a 470 nitro twice, 
And then I shot, finished it charging with a 468 Rigby, which is a big gun. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm Isaiah, and my question is, if you could merge two animals, what would it be? Mine is a rhino and a cheetah, and it's called a cheetah. <laughs> awesome. Let me think. Um, that's a good question. I'd have to really put some thought into that. I'd, I'd like to be able to kill the biggest and the baddest of a bear and a deer put together, but they're the hardest thing to kill, if okay. that were possible. I have a follow-up question. Um, why Africa? Why Africa? Uh, because of the variety of animals you can hunt there and never having been there. And once you go there, you're going to go back again. <laughs> Trust me. It's beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Hi, I'm AJ, and if you had anywhere to live, where would you live? I would like to live in Africa, to be honest. But that's a tough sell with my wife. Can you work on her for me? Uh, sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jackson. So what do you do when somebody's, like, not being very smart and, like, pointing a gun at you? What do you think I'd do? That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> well, that's never happened. Um, what would you? But do if they're being, um, if they're being careless or reckless, I'll take it away from them. Okay. And send them home. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tristan, and. Uh, how long did it take you to grow up? <laughs> I knew that was coming. This is year five now. Nice. Uh, I have a follow-up question. So when my dad used to hunt, he got up like really early in the morning, and he like ate because he had to, and then he would throw it up because he was sick. Oh. Did you ever do that or like? Oh, when he's gutting an animal or something? Yes, something like that. Yeah. No, it's never bothered me. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm Kane. Where do you remember the first place you shot an animal? Prince Albert. No, like where in the, on the oh. body? Oh, in the head. In the head. Yeah. I blew one's legs right off. <laughs> and also, I have a follow-up question. Uh, where is there another far place that you've been to hunt besides Africa? Mm-hmm. I've been to South America. I've been all over the United States. New Mexico. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, it is Ben again. And what do you think video games have done to affect people's thoughts on guns? Hmm. Good question. You want my opinion on it? Yes. Uh, I think that they have influenced people with an unreal, basically, it's not realistic. Now, you can get into a whole lot of other things. Like I mentioned, we're, going, we're about to lose what they call assault rifles. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, I don't own an assault rifle, um, but I'm a gun supporter, obviously, because it's a tool that I need to do my trade. Um, we, could, we could spend hours arguing on this, debating this, but... If you take something away, they're going to take everything away. Yeah. Uh, 
but there is a need. Our system isn't working, let's put it that way. So previous to this happening, we had to register all our guns. And that isn't happening because there's still bad guys with guns, right? Still bad guys with guns and they're not registered. So it's not working. Okay. A good question. Okay, it's me again. And uh, uh, once my uh, dad's grandpa got shot in the back with a shotgun, Ooh. but it, he didn't die because it was quite far away. Uh, has anybody that you know been shot with a gun while hunting accidentally? Uh huh. Okay. Me. Me. How? It was about. Oh gosh. Well, I remember I said I lived in a house out here. Me and my brother were out, and he shot a pellet gun and it hit a post. Oh boy. And it came back and hit me in the shoulder. Oh no. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Well, I was lucky. Okay. Hi. Um, hi, I'm, hi, I'm Billy, and uh, Hello. do you think video games cause, oh, wait, wait, Ben, what did you say exactly again? Um, Just do your typical last question. Do, uh, uh, what, um, it's probably video games cause gun violence. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How do you, uh, so do you think video games cause real, real gun violence? Or? Do you think that they corrupt the minds of children? I believe that, it, again, it gives you an unreal, not a realistic sense because it's not reality. Yeah. Do I believe it? Do it does it influence certain people? Yes. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but certain people. Also, uh, Coke or Pepsi? I don't do a lot of pop, but Pepsi. Thank you. All right. So thanks for coming, Mr. Dunham. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. We learned a lot about hunting. (coughs) Hunting. Thank you to my classmates for the questions. And thank you, listeners. Have a great day. Stay tuned for the next episode. Join us next week when Gavin talks to two pilots. We'd love to hear from you. Send your questions, show ideas, or any other feedback to talkingtoexperts at gmail.com.